Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. What does it take for a young Canadian from Winnipeg to build a successful tech startup in his hometown? Chris Schmidt is the 27-year-old co-founder and CEO of Pluto Ventures, a successful tech company that uses artificial intelligence to revolutionize the way industries understand and account for the physical dimensions of their consumers. Chris founded his first company, a tree branding business, at the age of 10, and he still runs it today along with his other ventures. His biggest company is Every Studio, a design agency with its main product being the very popular Snapchat geofilters, which are custom graphics or filters specific to certain locations that users can swipe onto their photos in the app. His clients include international brands such as McDonald's, Starbucks, Coca-Cola, and Macy's, as well as individuals such as brides who want a personalized filter for their wedding. While Chris was building these companies, he also completed a Bachelor of Science degree at the University of Manitoba. With all his success, he did not choose to move to Silicon Valley. Rather, he is growing his businesses in his hometown of Winnipeg, Canada. In this episode, we will discuss Chris's journey in building successful businesses at such a young age, what he learned along the way, and how to foster entrepreneurship skills in young people. Thank you very much, Chris, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You are obviously very successful at a very young age, started several businesses and started in business when you were 10. So can you tell us, tell me what drives you? Opportunity, I think is the ultimate force for myself. If I'm lucky, I have another 50, 60 years in my business career, I hope. And in that span, if I'm lucky, I'll be able to spend or build another six or seven companies. Hmm. And so For myself, I have millions and millions of ideas in my head of problems I want to solve, things I want to do. And the tricky part is, ultimately, I'll only be able to do six or seven of those in my lifetime. And so I have this mindset that every second is so important, uh, whether it's working towards building a business or your relationships or whatever that might be, that I don't want to waste any second ever. A couple of years ago, I, I would sleep less just to maximize as many hours a day possible. I then realized that that's not the best decision. So I increased my sleep time. But when I'm awake, it's this mindset of every second is so precious. And I kind of want to just maximize, maximize it in whatever way I can. And it's the creations that you want to see come yeah. alive that you have in your mind, or it's the processes of creating? It's the opportunity to provide value to others. And, and that value could be in, in different forms of whether that's a direct service or product, but also whether you could be providing value to the earth, improving the environment, you know, protecting trees. And I, I believe that the ecosystem we live in at the moment, it's so easy now to, to build a company. You can make a website in an afternoon. You can kind of get up and going really easily because of the tools, mostly driven by the internet. And what I see are 
I have all the tools that I need to basically be able to build whatever I want. And the ultimate goal is to provide value to others. And I kind of want to maximize that ultimate goal. That's fantastic. That is really, really good. And so you started your first business when you were 10, a tree banding business. That's a very, very young age. What was it that sparked that initiative? How were you inspired? It was a combination of having older brothers. I have two older brothers. One's uh, two years older than me and one is five years older than me. So being the youngest, you obviously get driven and moved ahead quickly when you have older brothers. So I saw them working, doing yard work and obviously being a curious young boy, I thought, you know, maybe I could do the same thing. So I got two neighbors as customers to cut their lawn. It was kind of a great way. You'd make a few bucks. You could buy a Slurpee. When you're 10 years old, you don't don't know what entrepreneurship is. You don't know what building a company is. You're just kind of doing what you enjoy. And for me, cutting a few lawns, being able to make a few dollars, I just enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where things started. Looking back now, it seems like, yeah, like I started a company when I was 10, but in the moment, I was just trying to do something fun and, and stay busy. So many of the biggest achievements in the world really come from that very first step of not seeing where mm-hmm. it's going to end up. When was it that you said, actually, this is, this is my business? Yeah, every year I would get a few more customers. So no joke, first year I had two, second year I had three or four. Sure, it's, you know, 100% growth sounds great. Um, I kept growing kind of like a monopoly game with my, my brothers and I. We sort of wanted to see how many of our neighbors we could sort of, you know, take as customers. And each year I was, you know, I try to do more things where I try to provide invoices some years. And I, I have records. I can look back. I can see the invoice I made in Microsoft Word in 2004 for my lawn care customers. It's, it's horrendous to look at, but it was this mindset of always learning and, and trying to pick up and, and realizing, oh, okay, so you got to make an invoice to collect money from your customers. Okay, we'll try to make that. Mm. And around the age of 15, I discovered this concept, division of labor, which was kind of game-changing. And I hired a few of my friends to cut lawns. And I realized I could be cutting, you know, two, three lawns at once if I have some of my friends doing it as well. So that was kind of this, probably around, yeah, 15, 16, I started to realize this, you know, starts to as you get more customers, you get more friends to work for you, you can make some more money. And that's probably the turning point was kind of around 15, 16. So your confidence grew as you took one step at a time. And yes, very slow, very slow growth. So in the businesses that you have now, I mean, looking back, what was your greatest learning in that first business starting so young? What was a big learning experience that you took forward? I think learning that it takes a really long time to build a business. So the tree banding component, it was always just an add-on service to lawn care. So I had all my lawn care customers, and then I would offer tree banding as an additional service to those customers. And what tree banding is, essentially, you put this band on it on a tree, has a sticky substance on it, mm-hmm. and it protects it uh, from cankerworms going up the tree, which then don't eat all the leaves in the springtime, stress out the tree, and it leaves them less susceptible to Dutch elm disease is sort of how okay. that works. Right. And so, you know, that company is still operating and we're year 17. It's very impressive. And so to realize it takes like a long time to build these companies. In addition to the patients, it's also that your customers are the most important part of your business. It's everything. So you got to treat them right. You got to do good work. You can't cut corners. But I think those are kind of the core fundamentals I learned with 
those com- the, those early companies is just patience, hard work, cutting six lawns a day plus thirty five out. You just kind of do it, and then treating your customers right. And were you expecting things to go faster when you were doing this at such a young age? Great question. Looking back, no. Okay. Because it's back to that mindset of you have no idea when you're that age, what could this could turn into? Mm. Um, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, I could get a couple more lawns. That'd be great. You kind of don't have that concept yet of what a quote unquote business is. So for me, what we did every year was great. And there was no concept of, you know, the competitors and this and, and market share and all those kind of fancy business terms. Now it was purely something to do in the summer for fun. Really amazing learning experience though, yes. because when you are adult and you want to make a business out of something, mm-hmm. then it's very, very hard to have that patience. And it takes a lot of hearing from a lot of other people who have gone before you to say, it takes a long time. It takes several years. Don't expect an income because it's difficult. But at a young age, you learn this when you don't need the income. You don't need to have work in the first year. And it's uh, so valuable. It's such a valuable experience. So now you have started several tech companies and you work with some of the biggest international brands. So what are some of the significant things that you have learned in developing these tech companies and working with so many big customers? Oh, that's, that's a great question. I think you realize once you start working with the largest companies in the world, there's not much different between them and the local shop down the street. I think that's kind of what I learned very quickly. And at the end of the day, you know, you're just dealing with people in both uh, scenarios. And at the end of the day, everyone wants the same outcome, outcome, which is providing value to each party is kind of the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. And I think there's sometimes a stigma and aurora around massive, massive corporations that you know, that maybe they're, they're hungry or that they're, they're evil. And when you actually get on, on a phone call with corporate account managers at these companies, they're just people too. Mm-hmm. And you can just talk to them as you would talk to your friends or that person down the street. And that's pretty much it. There's really nothing else that changes. And, and to kind of not get caught up on this idea that, you know, I'm now talking to Coca-Cola, which sounds fascinating and wonderful, but it's, it's just a company. And it got to the point with my previous company that we had worked with so many big brands that my team basically became immune to it. And we would have a company like L'Oreal come through our system and no one would actually, you know, think twice about it. Hmm. Or at the end of the day, that's like a massive company coming through the system. And I kind of liked that where we weren't giving special treatment or special, you know, it was, they were just another company coming through the system. Uh, but if a local Winnipeg company came to the system, they would get the exact same treatment as well. So yeah, I think That's it's, wonderful. you know, they're not scary companies. They're, they're a lot of fun to work with and they're, they're just people at the other end. And that's a really good thing when people are thinking about what they want to achieve and to have that often it becomes very intimidating to think yes. big, but yes. that's a really good uh, insight in the sense that it really is. Everyone really is just another person and treating them exactly the same way as you treated your customers when you were doing lawns yes, and they want the work delivered and you should go for what kind of difference you want to make in the world, however Precisely. big or small. Yep. That's fantastic. I mean, right now you're working on Pluto Ventures. Can you tell me a little bit more about exactly what you guys are doing? We've been quite under the radar. We started about three years ago. I began incubating that company in my previous company. 
Uh, so it's kind of a weird uh, startup scenario where I, I met two f- amazing software machine learning developers, just absolutely brilliant. And my first thought was, I need to work with these two people no matter what cost. So I had them working in a side room at my office and we just were kind of building different products. I had a co-founder, it was mm-hmm. the four of us. And um, it was really kind of a learning period of figuring out where we want to situate ourselves in the machine learning world. Mm -hmm. And then we began building out a product for a very specific industry. And I was, I guess, sort of naive at how long it takes to build a machine learning artificial intelligence company Mm -hmm. and how long it takes to build data sets. And so about two years after that, we come out the other end, which was about, I guess, six to eight months ago. And we'd built this amazing product but we actually realized that the product we built, it solves the initial problem we wanted to solve, but it actually has so many additional applications to it. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of working through what those other applications look like, the different industries we can be in. But it's kind of all around this idea of body dimensional data and information and how that can be used in different industries. So that's kind of the focus. We hope to have some products launched in 2021. And what does it mean body dimensional? It's this idea that every person is, I guess, formed differently down to a very, very small detail level. So when you look at people in that aspect, everyone needs, whether it's products or services, everyone sort of actually needs a little bit of a personalized, custom tailored solution to them Mm -hmm. in different verticals and different industries. And so we're providing a tool that actually allows companies to, um, I guess, tailor their products and services and company to personalized people uh, at a very granular level. It's kind of high level. I know that basically is a high level fluff that doesn't really say too much, but once I can talk a little bit more about it, then it'll it'll all kind of make sense at that point. All right. (laughs) Fantastic. You've really gone a huge spectrum in terms of the type of businesses you've had and that you've started from simple and on the ground service to the Snapchat filters to a very complex technological solution. Yeah, it's definitely escalated. And it goes back to that idea of having only the ability to build so many companies in my lifetime. I want to build completely different types of companies. Mm -hmm. Once again, I only have so many times at bat. So the Snapchat filter company, my last one, that was sort of my fun e-commerce, massively scalable company. I probably won't build another e-commerce company. I've, I've done that. I, I know how mm-hmm. to run ads. It's, you know, I've kind of checked that off my bucket list. And this is, this Pluto company is way more than I was initially anticipating is sort of checking the artificial intelligence, machine learning company. And who knows where I end up in, in the next couple of years, but you know, there's a very good chance that based on my track record, I, I won't be building another AI company per se, and I won't be building another lawn care company. So I, I definitely want to try a lot of things and not just keep repeating the same type of company over and over again. Working on different problems and addressing different different issues in the world and trying to Precisely. find solutions yeah. for different issues. So mm. with that huge spectrum already in your life and all those experiences, what do you see as your greatest success so far? Success is really interesting because everyone defines it differently. Sometimes people define it based on money and finances and types of cars you have and houses you have. Others define it on a very small scale of just being able to wake up each morning and do what you enjoy. Mm -hmm. So 
I think I'm definitely on the later of those two where, as we talked about prior, the ability for me to be able to wake up Monday morning and be just so excited to go to work and do what I love to do, that's, a, that's already a massive, massive success. And if I can keep doing that for the next 50, 60 years, that's all that I need. That's truly a success in my life. And then on top of that, you know, being able to have a family and have good relationships with friends and, and my, my parents and my brothers and being able to maintain that is also something that's important to me and I would say is successful. So those are kind of my successes. When you look at it from a business perspective and, and when you look at that from like maybe a metric perspective or um, more KPI metrics, my last company, my Geofilter Studio company, would be considered in a business context, a massive success, you know, going from zero to 85 employees in 12 months, Mm -hmm. growing at, it's a stupid number, but 24,000% in one year and being Canada's faster in company in 2017, those are all KPIs, key performance indicators of a business that says that was a successful business. And then in addition to that, being acquired and actually exiting and leaving that business, um, once again, is a business success. Mm. So I think that's a success, but I also believe that having my tree banding company that has been around for 17 years with really no plan to really ever sell or acquire, I'd love to pass it on to my kids one day. I think that's a massively successful company as well. Being able to protect, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of trees in Winnipeg every year. That's what I want. That's what I want to do. So I think success is such a really interesting topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, But like I said, being able to wake up each morning, do what I want. I got it. Exactly. That is really huge. And from a young age, you started developing an understanding for what you want to be doing in life. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily, I mean, it's not specifically the exact business, but you got a sense for the fact that you wanted to build companies. You enjoyed addressing problems that you were passionate about And also realizing that in a family where everyone is a doctor, that was initially your path and realizing actually that wasn't your path, actually realizing what you want to be working on and to have that waking up on a Monday morning, excited to be doing what you're doing is a huge, uh, huge success. I couldn't agree more. And I think a lot of people try to get to the point of being able to wake up Monday morning and enjoy what you're doing. And so I'm just, I'm very thankful and fortunate that I was able to get that, I guess, right place for me so early on, because I'm able to spend, you know, basically every uh, second of my quote unquote working career doing what I want to do instead of, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years working somewhere else on enjoying that and being able to switch at that point. So yeah, it's definitely a fortunate situation to be in. Was there a point or something that triggered that realization for you of, who you really are in terms of what your path is that you're going to enjoy. Was there a trigger that? June, 2015. So okay. I was coming to the end of my bachelor of science degree from U of M university of Manitoba. And it was right at the point of, you know, do I, I had done the MCAT and, and the thought of, you know, do I pursue that path and, you know, apply to medicine and, and go down that route or is there an alternative? And there was a conversation that I had with my dad and that was really the turning point. And my parents are unbelievably supportive in everything that myself and my brothers do. Mm -hmm. And 
they never forced us ever to go into medicine. They actually almost discouraged us to go into medicine after seeing how much my, my dad works. Mm-hmm. And so they always just supportive whenever, you know, coming out of high school, all three of us were like, okay, we're going to go into sciences. We're going to do the MCAT, become a doctor. They supported that. And that conversation with my dad was sort of the first time where he was almost trying to encourage me to look at what I was doing when I wasn't st- studying biochemical pathways. I was working on my businesses in my spare time for fun. Mm. And he was sort of trying to encourage me to almost, you know, go down that path. And he said, look back. And this, I was about 22 at this point. He said, for the last 12 years, you, you've built all these companies. You've done all this great, uh, great work in business. And that was all part-time. And the thought was, you know, what would happen if, if I had spent 24 seven, every second of the day working in business, what could come of that? Mm-hmm. And he wanted almost, it was almost a kick in the butt to not go down the path of medicine and actually do what he saw I enjoyed doing, which was business. Mm. But it was a really tough conversation for him because at the end of the day, he'd always want to support my decision. So if I still wanted to do medicine, he still wanted to support that. Mm. But it was sort of like, uh, it was yeah, it was a kick in the butt to, yeah, maybe get out of the medicine path and actually go do what you actually enjoy doing. Mm. Um, and two months later, yeah, actually a, a month later, about 30 days later, I filed my first corporation papers, my first corporation end of July, 2015. And then within, within 12 months of that I had 85 employees. Wow. That's incredible. Um, so it, it, it happened quick and it was a very quick validation that I was doing what I'm supposed to be doing. That's great. That is incredible. And, and also very brave to look at what you're doing in your free time. And I mean, you were creating businesses, but I think that this is also really true for anyone to look at even if it's not completely clear what role will be their best fit. Uh, in this case for you, thinking, well, being a doctor is the role, mm-hmm. but looking at the actual individual skills that you are passionate and interested in or doing when it's not about a specific end goal and then piecing those together to have your path is, is such a good thing. And of course, there's so much uh, discussion in academia about the future of work is not about roles. It's not about specific jobs. It's about skill sets. And, um, mm-hmm. and so you were looking at exactly that thing. Well, that's a very fortunate discussion that you had with your dad. Yeah. I'm thankful we had it. All right. That's I may great. be a doctor at the moment, which <laughs> wouldn't be the right thing for me. Right. So in this road so far, what has been one of your greatest challenges? I was a little naive of how easy it would be to manage people. And how easy it would be to find good people. Mm. And what I learned very quickly, and I still strongly believe this, you could have the best business idea. You could have an endless bank account. You could have perfect product market fit. But if you don't have a good team and the right people, you won't succeed. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that your employees are, everyone always thinks that when you're an employee, you work for the boss. I actually think it's the opposite. As the boss, I actually work for all my employees. And I was probably naive of how much work it takes to create culture and blanket company statements don't work. You actually have to understand what each person wants and needs Mm -hmm. and how to motivate people. And everyone's different. And yeah, that's probably the biggest thing that I learned. And I learned it very quickly because within 12 months, when you have 85 people that you have to 
you know, manage, you kind of get thrown into the fire very quickly and you have to mm. kind of figure it out as you go. And so that was, that was tough. And I feel like I have learned an immense amount and, and there's definitely things that I would go back to when I was, I was, I, you know, I was 22 when, when I, when I was doing this, I, I was young and I never had that many people that would report to me. And so there's a lot of things that I'd go back and sure, I would, I would change this, change that. Uh, but the amount of knowledge that I have learned and the team now, when you look at the Pluto team, it is, it is all, it is the best team I have ever assembled. Mm -hmm. Everyone is an absolute rock star. The culture is unbelievable. We have, as you can say, like there's no rotten apples in the, in the group, but that is taken like that's taking a lot of time. That's not, that's not a fluke that that's happened. Mm -hmm. And on the output, you see what a great team can do. And so that's probably been the most challenging thing is people and finding, finding good people. Winnipeg is an underrated city in the sense of people think, Oh, you know, we're, we're small. We don't have enough developers, this, that you can find whatever skill set you want in Winnipeg. That's fine. But finding good people, with the right skill set, that takes more time to weed through all the, the vines and, and to find those people. So when we hire someone, when I hire someone, the first criteria, it, it doesn't matter what your, your background is, what your education is, what your skill set is. It's, are you a good person? Mm. And then, we'll, and then once you get past that point, we'll figure out, figure out the rest, but that is the biggest challenge. And some is I work on it every day every single day and, and COVID has thrown a loop with employment and, and, you know, office hours. And, and yeah, so it's just every day is a learning experience for employment management. Thank you. So entrepreneurship and the skills that are involved in that are increasingly important skills that are being taught in schools. And of course, in each of those topics, we can delve into so much more, but what do you think that schools and universities should be doing to foster this entrepreneurship skills that you've built from a young age? What do you think is missing? I think the most important thing when you are young is to do and to try as many things as possible. Because the whole point of going to school is trying to figure out what you are good at and what you enjoy. And if you're lucky, you get to do what you are good at and what you enjoy as your job. Uh, but that's, that's only if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. And so what I always, I'm fortunate. I, I get to do a lot of speaking events to high school students, university students. And I always tell them, I say the point when you're at school is, is yes, get good marks. I wish that I was that entrepreneur that says, you know, I had F's and D's in school and I didn't go to any class and I was a, a crappy student. I was a really good student and I was a hundred percent like a teacher's pet in elementary school. I got really, really good marks uh, throughout high school. I never, ever, ever skipped a class. Mm -hmm. uh, my high school, if you skipped a class, you got detention, you have to stay after school. So I was a really good student, but at the same time, I was trying to do as many things as possible. And it's really interesting. The high school I went to in Winnipeg, they have a program where every time you do an extracurricular activity, so if you're part of student council, if you're part of sports team, whatever it might be, you get these points. Mm -hmm. And the idea is when you graduate in grade 12, if, if you have, I believe it's 50 points, you get this special kind of token of appreciation. And the point of that program at St. Paul's High School is to really encourage people to not be the nine to five student, sorry, nine mm -hmm. to 3.30 student, um, and to stay after and, and to be part of extracurricular activities. And this is sort of a, a weird bragging point for me, but 
I actually have the record for the most points ever at my high school. And all that means is that I was trying to do as many things as possible. So the high school shuts down at 10 p.m. And the janitors would would always know they have to come find me to keep me out of the school (laughs) because I was somewhere in the school doing something. And whether it was, you know, building sets for drama or doing, I played basketball for varsity, junior varsity, or whatever it might be, they had to go kick me out of the school. (laughs) And so that is, I think the most important thing is you're trying to figure out what you enjoy and what you do. And the only way to do that is by doing a million things and trying to figure out what you like. And you definitely Um, have an incredible array of interests that you sound like you've had since you were very young, that you were wanting to do very, very different things. Was that being encouraged by the school or your parents? Or is that something, I mean, a big part I'm sure came from within. It, I think it stems a little bit of that stems from this idea of, I just kind of wanted to learn as much as possible outside of the classroom. Um, And so for, for instance, there's one interesting job at, at, at my high school, which was called the textbook room. And you would have to show up to school a week before school opened and you'd have to organize all the textbooks for distribution day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was something I, I just wanted to just wanted to do that. It was just this mindset of what can I do at, at this high school to make an impact and to, you know, you're given this opportunity where there's 50 types of extracurriculars you can be part of why not capitalize on that? Mm. Um, don't go home at 3.30 to play a, a video game. Stay, stick around, make some new friends. So yeah, it, it's, you know, ha- once again, having two older brothers that were heavily involved as well. I remember I was in elementary school and I would tag along in the evenings when my brothers were at the school and I would hang out at, at the high school when I was in grade six and seven. So I, I think it's, it's a combination of having older brothers that were heavily involved and, and getting me involved Right. Then learning very quickly all the friends you make, all the different friend groups you can be in, and kind of all this kind of freedom to kind of do all these off- options. Mm, that's really, really nice. Is there something else that schools could be doing in addition to obviously having a lot of opportunities and encouraging people to take advantage of them? I think, and I think this varies based on different schools and, and different curriculums, and I think that it varies based on so many factors, but teaching applicable knowledge mm-hmm. is very important. I'm on a Red River College uh, strategy committee board, uh, which is one of the colleges in Winnipeg. And we actually just had a, a meeting a few weeks ago. And, we're, and this was essentially the question is what more can the college do mm-hmm. to help their students in school? Yeah. And it, it was a two hour discussion. And the, and the whole discussion was around teaching applicable skills and knowledge. Mm-hmm. And even teaching things that seem so minor, but um, how to read a pay stub mm-hmm. and how to, you know, file your taxes, you know, very basic life skills where sure the, you know, physics equations are very important and, and the biology is very important, but there's almost the very just basic skills that could be taught. And I, I think a, a core f- a component of that is the ability to solve problems and think critically, because I think those are two qualities that if you can have that, you can probably figure out most things. Right. So if you can think critically and problem solve, when you get your first pay stub, you can probably figure out what it means and, and how to work it. So I, I think those two skills, it's difficult to teach and there's 
it's interesting, a big component of the MCAT to get into medicine is about problem solving and critical mm-hmm. thinking. Yes. But we never touched base, at least in my school, high school, on those components. So I think, I think basically preparing students for the world is what high schools are trying to do. Yes. And I know, especially my high school has done a great job of trying to get people like myself back to talk to the students. I think that's so important. And getting real world people to come and say, so the reason I never went into business out of high school was I thought being in business meant you sit in a cubicle in a high rise crunching numbers. And that would just blow my mind in boredom. I think, you know, if someone came like myself back to school and said, okay, this is what I do for business. I wake up, do this, do that. I think it would have changed my perspective. So um, yeah, kind of a combination I, I can talk for days about. The no, education. absolutely. Those are, <laughs> yes, again, a topic in itself. But I really like what you said about teaching some concrete skills like accounting and business accounting or pay stubs or how to set up a corporation or those sorts of things that although not everybody may use it, but having some awareness of it actually brings down a lot of barriers because when you think, yes. oh, my goodness, how do I start a business? Like, where do I even begin? What does that even mean? brings down those barriers to have those practical skills and also as you said bringing people back who are doing different skills which is something that I'm very 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 interested in and something I did with my old high school after I graduated is ask alumni to come back and talk about the twists and turns of how they got to where they are and realizing that it's not a straight path and what they're doing in that part of their life so it's, it's very important to have those examples to bring down the barriers and mm-hmm. also to have some practical skills, which is fantastic. What about your parents? You said a little bit about the importance of their encouragement and attitude that you should follow what you are interested in and what you're best at and the great talk that you had with your father. What would you tell parents as a key to helping to foster? Not everyone needs to be an entrepreneur, obviously, but to help keep that door open and to keep that exploration, what would you recommend? So I think a lot of the stuff that the uh, education system can teach uh, actually translates well to parents. And this same idea about curiosity and, and helping kid try many things. And I look back and one of my favorite books as a kid was Curiosity George. And I think when you're an entrepreneur, curiosity is so important. You're always trying mm-hmm. to figure out, okay, how do we, you know, how do we expand to this market? How do we do this? How do we do that? And curiosity is so important. So mm. I think this idea that the way parents support their kids can vary in so many ways. And in my family, no one had a business background. No one had business knowledge. No one set up a corporation. Like they, they didn't have that domain. So the support that I was getting from my, my mom and dad and, and my brothers it wasn't about, oh, you should set up your corporation with this type of share class and do this and that because they didn't know that. And that wasn't their job and that wasn't their domain, but they would support me in other ways. And so one great way was I just moved out of my house about three weeks, three months ago. And so out of your parents' house, out of my parents' house. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I, I just, you know, built a company, sold a company and, and my mom still made my lunch and that small thing, which takes, you know, 10 minutes a day, which is so small, was her way of showing support to me. And this ability for me to be able to um, not have to worry about having to make a lunch and I could just focus everything 
on, on my, on my work. Yes. Um, it wasn't, it's not the, it's not the fact that I have the inability to make a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Um, actually I make quite good sandwiches, <laughs> but that was one way that my mom felt like she could support me. Mm-hmm. So I accepted that. And um, same thing with my dad, you know, very, very busy, always on call, but he was at every single basketball game, every single track event. And he knew that being there for those games is what mattered to me. And that was the support, mm-hmm. but he didn't have to come home at 6 PM on a Thursday just to, you know, hang out with me. That wasn't what I needed. So I think, I think for parents to understand how best to support your kid. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and that's not a blanket statement of uh, it one, one way fits for all parents. And so for my parents, you know, I had unconditional support, no matter what I did always. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was key. That's really special. And it's really great. And it's important to provide support in whatever way that you think best fits your child, because every child is also different and every parent is different in what they can offer. Mm -hmm. But it's also very important for the young person to accept support. I mean, as you said, you were 20, you know, you just turned 27, you were living at your parents' house because you recognize that they're offering this to you and your mom is very happy to make your lunch and your meals. But that offers you a lot of time and a lot of headspace to be able to focus on your company. So it's important to also receive that, that kind 100%. of support. So that's great. And I know that, you know, like I could have told her many, many years ago, like, mom, I'll, I'll make the lunch and that would have been fine. But mm-hmm. I, I know that that was a, it's weird to say, but that was a highlight of her day making that 10 minute lunch. So, you know, for me, all I have to do is accept a, uh, a pre-made lunch. I'll do that. That's easy. That's easy for me to do. So I, I agree. It's, it's definitely a two-way transaction. That's, yeah, that's very important. It always takes a lot of people to, to help whoever gets to where they get in life. It takes a, yes. it takes a village. <laughs> and so entrepreneurship is definitely something that is much more, not just the skills that school wants to in, reinforce and that the future of work is also really encouraging the skills required for entrepreneurship but it's also really part of uh, youth culture right now of wanting to have your own business. So what would you suggest? You've already given a lot of different suggestions for what young people should be doing, but is there a final thing that you think this is what they should be really taking away? I think it comes down to what you truly want and entrepreneurship has been glorified and sexified about this beautiful, sexy, uh, I guess, career, uh, as you see, you know, you know, such as the CEO of Snapchat married to a model and you have Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk with big planes and, and all this fancy stuff. And I think you have to realize that being an entrepreneur is actually incredibly difficult and you make an immense amount of sacrifices. You know, I never went to Coachella when I was 22, I was working. I, I gave up so many parties and events uh, because I was working. If I had to go back, I would do the exact same thing again. But mm-hmm. for me, that was a sacrifice that I wanted to make. And so there was this trade-off of don't, don't build a business. Don't be an entrepreneur just so that you can have CEO in your Instagram bio. Don't do it for that. That's, that's the wrong reason to do it. And if you just want to make some money, go get a job, uh, work somewhere else, go work at Amazon, Facebook, whatever. Don't build a company to give you perspective. I'm never on payroll of my companies. I don't build my companies to pay myself. 
whenever we had a surplus of revenue at my previous company, my first mindset was how do I hire more people? Mm. It wasn't what trip should I be going on next? Mm. And so I say, when you want to build a company or if you want to be an entrepreneur, don't do it for the money. There's easier ways to make money. You have huge responsibilities. You have people's livelihoods. You have benefits plans. Like I have employees that have, you know, very young kids and kids in high school and, and all over ages. And that's a huge responsibility. Today's payday. I have to make, I have to get payroll through by the, by midnight tonight, or people don't get paid on Friday. Like there is no, you know, oh, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. This sort of stuff is like, it has to be done today. And it's really important. So responsibility is really big and the sacrifices you you're going to make an immense amount of sacrifices and you have to be okay with that. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you're okay with those kind of three points, the rewarding, I guess, value you get from building a company is it's addicting and I'm kind of addicted to it, but it's not for everyone. And kind of like my parents with my, myself and my brother is like almost not encouraging us to go into medicine. I almost try to get kids to not go into entrepreneurship because it's not for everyone. It's not suited for everyone. It's, it's a, it's a big commitment. It's a mm. big, big commitment. Absolutely. And it's wonderful that you do go back to schools, to your school and also to other schools and coming on this podcast to talk about your experience and, and your insights on this. And you're certainly a very inspiring person. Thank you. Before we end, I just wanted to ask you if you have a recommendation, either a book or an article, something that inspires you and that you think listeners would be interested in. I mentioned at the very beginning, the lack of sleep with my first business. I then listened to an audible called why we sleep by Matthew Walker. Mm -hmm. uh, which is a quite a popular book. And, and my brother read it as well. And we were basically scared shitless to now sleep a good amount each night. Okay. Uh, so I, I do recommend if you're someone that says, you know, I can only work on, or I only need two, three hours of sleep. It's not that suggesting something to intimidate you and to, and to, and to sleep a lot, but this was a really good kind of wake up call from a medical perspective of, kind of the downside of not sleeping. So I, I do think entrepreneurship uh, has a stigma around, you know, working 24 hours a day. I, I honestly get a good seven, eight hours sleep every night. And so that kind of was a, a kick in my butt to kind of get to bed earlier. Mm. And then in addition to that, love listening to books about the progression of, of a company. So books such as there's one about Amazon called, I think it's called the everything store. There's one about Netflix, which is that will never work. And then there's a Elon Musk book. And so all three of these books, and there's a, a ton of other ones really kind of have you walk through the, the journey of, of these companies. And for myself, that's fascinating because you sort of hear the early day stories, how things were going, how they handled different situations. And so I, I really recommend if you want to be an entrepreneur, the best way to sort of learn what it's going to be like is listen to other stories and to kind of get a grasp of what this could actually be and what type of journey it is. Yes, that's very important. And thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights. I really enjoyed our conversation and thank you very much for doing this. Thank you for having me. This was fun. 